Hello and welcome to the Future of Banking in Ireland podcast. This podcast is brought to you by DLA Piper and today we'll be discussing the changing landscape for banking in Ireland. I'm Connor Houlihan, I'm a partner and head of DLA Piper's finance projects and restructuring practice in Ireland. I've practiced for more than 20 years as a transactional finance lawyer, so the importance of a successful banking system to our economy and the role of non-banks and investors in that success has always been a key part of my practice. The purpose of today's podcast is to try to make a meaningful contribution to the debate about the future role of banks in our economy. This debate is topical in Ireland because of the planned withdrawal of Ulster Bank and KBC from the Irish market, but it's by no means a uniquely Irish question. Lessons learned from the global financial crisis, the impact of the current pandemic, the pace of change in the banking sector and customer behaviour, among other things, have put this topic firmly on the agenda in pretty much every economy. To discuss this, I'm joined by an expert panel, uh, Elaine Dehan, Country Manager for Ireland at Starling International. It's a small market. It's heavily consolidated. So externally, it may not be the most attractive market. However, there are huge opportunities in Ireland. Tom McAleese, who's Managing Director of Financial Industry Advisory Services at Alvarez and Marsal. If you have an environment where you've got three three banks, that's fine, because like markets like Greece have only four banks, even places like Canada and places like that, they have a small pillar banking community, and then they have a, th- a thriving uh, non-bank community, which provides the choice for customers. Fergal McGrath, who's CEO of Dillusk, a specialist mortgage lender in Ireland. Well, the let's say the, the KBC Ulster Bank announcement was a an interesting development for us. We did see our business pretty much increase instantly. And Nadine McKeown, who's the Chief Operating Officer for PayZone. There's a, a, a really bright future for people, um, both in terms of being part of financial services and, and working with fintechs. So maybe to start, let's talk generally about the changing international landscape for banking and financial services. And Tom, as I said, this isn't just an Irish or even a European question, is it? I mean, around the world, our, our colleagues are having the same discussion about the role of banks in their economies. Um, how well are they providing SME credit? How deposits and savings are impacted by low or negative interest rates? Do you want to just set the scene in terms of what's going on in banking internationally, please? Yeah, thanks, Connor. Um, yeah, that's a question we get keep to ask, ask people asking us all the time. And, and it's usually in comparison with the, the last crisis, we had the great financial crisis. And there is a difference between this crisis and the last one. The last one was definitely a crisis that was created by the financial system in its own right. And this one is actually, has not been created by the financial system. It's actually a health crisis. So they, they, are, they are very different uh, dynamics and there's very different things happening to the uh, to, to the markets as a result. So, you know, we, we see that the banking sector has actually been less impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic uh, than the, the great financial crisis, which it had created itself. You know, the, the banking sector uh, from a financial health perspective is, is in rude health. Um, it has a, on average, a CT1 ratio of 15%. That's basically a test of its solvency and effectively it's, you know, five or six percentage points above uh, the regulatory minimum. Um, liquidity is, is, is in abundance and, 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 and also, you know, deposits as well 
there's been a high uh, increase in deposits across the sector. And then, you know, the asset quality in the banking sector as a whole is actually very, very good. But most economies, you know, have been impacted and most economies have been in another recession since Q1 2020. And, you know, there's certain industries as well have been hit a lot more than than than, than others. You know, we call them in, in A&M, Alvarez and Marcel, the, cor- the coral, you know, construction, oil, oil and gas, retail, aviation and leisure. And across Europe, these are the sectors that have been uh, hit hit badly, and these are the sectors that the banks themselves are actually looking at closely in their watch list and and when they're dealing with on workout situations. But overall, the um you know the larger structuring market across Europe is actually very is quite quiet at the moment, and you know banks are still in a situation where they actually haven't seen a huge amount of you know NPLs you know coming in into their books. Um, you know, stage two loans are ticking up. Uh, slowly, but there hasn't been an avalanche of this, and and that's really to do with the 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 forbearance that the regulator has been giving the ECB uh, primarily on 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 a lot of the on on a lot of the banks uh, and, and and allowing them to provide moratoriums and, and forbearance on on the clients. They've actually allowed them to use their some of their buffers as well. And the the other thing is the massive government support across across Europe where. They're providing income supports and and business supports, um, which has has effectively been propping up the economy. So where this is going to go, I still at this point we're talking to the banks every day. They don't really know where it's going to go yet because there's still this uncertainty around the virus. But there will be a day when you know these moratorium and and, and forbearances um, come to an end, and uh, you know there will be companies that will be viable and not viable, and, and households that will be viable, not viable. That'll have to be dealt with. But I think the banks are very well positioned to deal with it both from capital and both from their internal resources to uh, to, to to work this out because they've had a lot of practice over the last 10 years. Thanks, Tom. So so it sounds like th- things are maybe not as, as bad as they as they might be. So if, if banks are making decisions to reshape business models, then presumably that's driven by other factors, you know, a need to, to achieve greater profitability or to, to meet customer demands. I mean, Elaine, maybe do you want to add, perhaps in terms of what the, the changing landscape looks like in practical terms, you've you've described it as a democratization of, of financial services. Do you want to maybe um, explain that a little bit, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think if you look back at, at kind of what banks were offering and offering to consumers um, and small businesses kind of pre the digitization and, and kind of digital enablement and PSC2 and open banking, um, you know, was was really very limited and, and very much focused on, on the bank's own underlying kind of strategy around, you know, how do we upsell? How do we get a customer and sell them lots of different types of products and and, and really not put the, the customer at the front and center of the proposition. So it was really more about the bank. Since I, I guess with fintech and digitization um, and the creation of digital banking platforms, what it does is it puts the customer front and center. And brands now or banks or, or fintechs are, are looking at it from the point of view of the customer centric value proposition and breaking down and what I say about the, I guess, you know, the, the democratization of those financial services is putting those services into the hands of customers that were essentially the reserve of big institutional, large corporate clients, um, such as foreign exchange, giving customers access to very low margin 
foreign exchange, which was once, you know, a, a really big part, you know, was a, a cash cow for for retail banks or, you know, over the counter foreign exchange. You, you've gone from having this extremely high cost from a, cons- from a customer's point of view with fintechs and digital platforms coming in and attacking, but we're going to distribute it to customers in a much more customer centric and, and put value in the customer's hands and, and move that away from, you know, very high margin high cost from a consumer's point of view. So I think what you'll see, what we're seeing in in terms of the digital platforms is putting the customer front and center and giving them access and better access to tools that enable them to have, um, you know, manage their financial lives better, to have greater access to services, to what, what was, as I said, the reserve of large corporate customers that were kind of the, the kind of gold standard customers for, for banks. And Fergal, you, you see this in the mortgage lending market too. I guess you know it. It seemed that it was sort of perhaps slower to adapt, but now you're doing some very interesting things in partnership with fintechs. Do you want to speak to that? I mean, when when we set up Dilosk uh, eight years ago, uh, the landscape was quite different than today. And in terms of the uh, fintech partnerships, IT partnerships, various solutions to make, uh, I suppose, banking, whether it's, you know, mainstream banking, non-banking, more efficient, uh, that the choice is, 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 is greater today and it's, it's improving. And I can, uh, you know, predict in five years' time, the landscape will be even uh, uh, far, the differential will be greater. And I suppose for us as a relatively small specialist mortgage lender in Ireland with, uh, you know, the equivalent of, of 50 people, you know, for us, the solution always isn't just to hire more people. It's always looking at the way we do business and say, how can we take advantage of, you know, the, the you know, robotic engineering uh, IT solutions so that we can uh, make it make it more uh, efficient. Like reality is our business as a specialist mortgage lender, you know, the, the main things we need to deliver on is, you know, rate service innovation and, you know, the service and the innovation part is helped a lot by uh, fintech partnerships so that can mean uh, solutions around valuation just speeding up the process and it's something that we're just constantly obsessed about uh, to make it more um, efficient for us and the other thing that's quite interesting is that the the cost uh, is is coming down so you know 10 years ago to do what we were doing now, we would have had to invest, you know, multi-millions in various different products. Now it's just, uh, I suppose, a more pay per application as opposed to a large uh, capital outlay upfront. So it's very interesting and it's constantly evolving uh, and it's changing all the time. And Nadine, of course, AIB has also had significant success in terms of acquiring 
fintech capability through the, the pay zone transaction. Do you want to comment on that in terms of what additional capability that brings and sort of evolving your customer offering? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, when we look at the change in landscape here, um, it's fantastic to see because we're all in the business of trying to make it a better experience here for a customer. Um, the changes in technology that we're bringing out and the partners and acquisitions that are really there to help accelerate an organic transformation because as we all know, you know, it will work better if we work together with the fintechs. Um, so we're very excited in this space and AIB has made a number of announcements in this regard recently. So in my in my new role, um, Connor, as the CEO in Payzone, you know, it's such an opportunity to actually be at the forefront of starting to create and to bring new um, services to our customers. And it's something that we're very excited about. And I think this is where we're going to see financial services really evolve, um, less about the banks doing things themselves and creating that opportunity now for more partnerships to really bring value and new services out there to the marketplace. So I, I believe it's a very exciting time as we move into 2022 and beyond. So, like in general, it seems that changes in the in the banking landscape, as I said already, are, you know, are are being driven by a need to to reshape business models and achieve greater profitability, and also to meet customer needs. Fergal, just looking specifically at the Irish banking sector, is it the same dynamics at play, or are there other factors? I mean, in your opinion, what's behind the recent withdrawals of Ulster Bank and KBC from the Irish market? I suppose in, in banking in general, there are, I suppose, legacy issues. And that's always been the, the difficulty, whether it's, you know, IT issues. And uh, when you have uh, banks that are, you know, as old as 100 years, and when you're looking at uh, fintech solutions or improving the, the IT side, it's certainly more complicated than for, say, newer entrants like like ourselves where we didn't have the the legacy issues so anything we we looked at new products it's just easier to it's easier to launch so you know it issues and then i suppose you know staff morale trying to move on from the financial crisis it takes some time and um and then uh, the, the mortgage market on on the credit side uh you know Ireland was hit particularly badly and it takes many years to recover and whether it's restructuring the loans and then or selling the loans and that just takes time and um i suppose the um yeah, the the regulatory landscape adapting to that that's constantly evolving any uh, change development on the regulatory side you know it means uh, changing policies procedures updating systems that that all takes time and then i suppose the challenge is that the market is was relatively small um uh, the mortgage market would say 10 billion you look at the dutch market which is you know multiples of that or the uk market so I suppose you you factor all those uh, all those uh, issues together. I suppose you, it, you can understand that, and then the the big debate 
about the capital uh, that has to be held or the the capital charge for certain lending in particular in mortgages that uh, you know feeling that it's pu- too punitive compared to lending in uh, other European uh, jurisdictions. So, you know, bottom line is a 25 to 30 percent market share in terms of the, the, the mortgages, certainly from my perspective, which which opens up would be very unusual in any marketplace. But, you know, the market does adapt. I can't see, you know, the uh, regulator changing the rules around uh, risk weighting on the mortgage side. I mean, their ultimate job is to protect the uh, I suppose Irish banking system. Um, it may change probably in the future, but I can't see that happening overnight. So I think, Connor, th- there are multiple issues here that the, the, the reason why they, they left the market, in my mind. Tom, would you, would you agree with that? Or do you have other thoughts? I know this sort of the consolidation and rationalization of banking operations is something that you regularly see in your practice across Europe? Yeah, we're looking at it uh, all the time. I think just to, uh, uh, as an extension to what I said earlier, and a lot of the stuff that, that Fergal has just said, the, the issue is not capital and liquidity anymore. The issue is about business model, as you pointed out, Connor. Return on equity now is, is a big driver going forward. Shareholders of banks are looking for return on equity. And the return on equity in the European banking marketplace is well below the cost of equity. Um, I think it ticked up to about 7% last quarter, Q1, 21, but it's averaging about 2 to 3%. You know, if your cost of equity is 8, 9, 10%, you need to be getting a return above 12%. So if you're a shareholder, either in London or in Brussels, looking at the performance of your Irish entity, you know, you're looking at very poor return on equities. You're looking at your capital, you know, large capital having to be deployed, as, as, as Fergal says, because the RWA and mortgages, for instance, the mortgage product is nearly triple uh, the rest, rest of Europe. And that's because of legacy issues in the mortgage market. Um, and that's, that is problematic. So you have, you effectively got trapped capital tied up in a, in a small market, as, as Fergal says. We, we're kind of running the rule over the whole of Europe, and we we have about fifty or sixty uh, situations where banks are actually looking to actively exit a market or product line or a customer line um, because they are are not profitable, and they're actually now much more proactive in making these decisions. I suppose because they have actually a bit more time, but also because the regulator is pushing a lot of banks around the business model model question. And that that ties in then to, you know, what do they these banks look like on forward? But from an Irish perspective, the scale of the market is small compared to the rest of Europe. So as as as, as Fergal said, the mortgage market, there's only eight to ten bill in a year of mortgage being written. Um, you have a market share issue as well. You've got two large incumbents that have, you know, 35, sorry, between them about 65% of the mortgage market. They've got 80% of the SME market, and they've a, they've a, they've a pretty decent share of the consumer market share. So those market shares are very difficult to eat into, um, unless you have something more interesting like a fintech proposition or whatever. And we've seen a lot of the fintechs being much more nimble and able to cut in at the market share versus the the legacy banks I call them, like Ulster Bank and KBC. So I think they've made decisions based on the sustainability. They can actually use that capital, I think, much more effectively elsewhere in the group, either by redeploying it into different divisions within the group or actually paying it out as dividend. 
There's also, I think, a cost issue here as well. There's regulated costs are a lot higher in Ireland. These banks actually have to bear the brunt of um, group overhead as well. They should get the benefit of group, but they also have group overhead to pay for. And then they they have this uh, capital concern as well. So this go- this is going to be something you're going to see a lot of across Europe, banks exiting the marketplace. So this is this is something where the banks are just going to be much more nimble. And, you know, they see the competition not by let's grow into a market. Let's actually, uh, t- you know, let's get a much more profitable business model that we can take on the fintech with, um, proposition, which is, I think, going to be the key issue for them. Nadine, as, as one of the remaining pillar banks in the Irish market, do, do, you, do you want to comment or how, how do you see this? Obviously, some of the challenges mentioned would continue to apply. I concur exactly with what both um, Tom and Fergal have said there in that, you know, scale of the Irish market versus the other jurisdictions, you know, has to be a, a key factor there. Um, because irrespective of whatever size you are, you've got the same regulatory governance requirements in each jurisdiction that you operate in. But I think, you know, while for the banks remaining in Ireland, um, the same challenges will continue um, across all of the financial services. But, you know, one of the benefits there will be the additional scale that the, the remaining banks will have. Each of the remaining banks are, you know, Irish companies and very much committed to the market very much, I believe, you know, we'll all be here for the foreseeable future, despite what's happening, given our given our scale within the country. I think it's really important to stress, you know, we're all here trying to make a bank a better after the financial crisis that we had back in 2008. We're seeing customer behaviours change so dramatically and, and we, we genuinely want to make make it better there, be it through our technology that we, how we do regulation, um, you know, and how we operate um, in our engagement with our customers and how we support them when they need to gauge, engage with us one-to-one. Because I think that's a really important aspect of our business and something that, you know, Irish banks can do well. And I think particularly with fewer banks in the marketplace, it'll be more important than ever that banks connect with fintechs there to bring services that customers want and need. And that'll create opportunities for business to grow and the country as a whole to flourish. Um, because... Ireland so often, you know, punches above its weight for a small country. We can really deliver some, um, you know, great initiatives and good outcomes. So I think the future, the future looks bright there, both for businesses and for customers alike. The other thing as well is around bank ownership, right? The banks are still owned by, partly owned or owned by the government, right? And I think if you look at any uh, country across Europe, own, you know, states should not be owning banks long term, right? So a big issue for the Irish market going forward is, is to actually wean off the uh, this government ownership. And I think Bank of Ireland will be well on the way this year or next year. But that, that's a key factor as well when people are looking at the market. I think, you know, I was kind of looking at myself, you know, you've got three banks left. What's got that going to do to competition? I'm probably not as concerned about that now as I would be in the past. But I think because there is a lot more competition from the non-bank side coming in, um, and, and, and providing products. So customers, you know, as long as customers have the choice and they don't just have to default directly to the state-owned banks, and I'm sorry, Nadine, but, you know, everybody has to be competitive here. But I think just me per- just me personally looking at this, if you have an environment where you've got three, three banks, that's fine because like markets like Greece have only four banks, even places like Canada and places like that, they have a small pillar banking community and then they have a, th- a thriving uh, non-bank community which provides the choice for customers. And that's what we kind of want. But I think, and I think we're going to get in there slowly but surely. 
you know, why it's attractive to us is because we see that there's huge opportunity to drive innovation and competition in that market. And obviously, you know, we have a much different cost base and um, a much more, much healthier cost income ratio in our business model. So that enables us to get into the market, deliver to customers what they want and deliver it very quickly. Um, we don't have the same overheads in terms of, you know, the legacy technology. Um, we can deliver an awful lot more in terms of the technology with far less developers. Um, so we don't have the same um, overhead there. We obviously don't have a huge branch um, network. So the cost of running our bank is far more effective. And that's why, you know, so Ireland is a is an attractive market for us to enter. And I do think that, you know, without having proper banks challenging, not just the the non-banks and the EMIs, you know, like if you look at, at how the market has responded, say, to the likes of Revolut coming in, which isn't a bank, you know, with over a million customers, it's showing that, yes, there is an absolute demand for better digital experiences. And what people are necessarily using the likes of Revolut for is not what Revolut was actually ever intended to be, or even the role that it plays in other markets. Um, for example, like in the UK, you know, the instant payment feature of, Reg- of Revolut isn't necessarily a thing. It's a prepaid foreign exchange card, which now has uh, investments and, and cryptocurrency. Whereas in Ireland, it's still very much hanging on the back of it being this instant payment mechanism where people transfer money out of their incumbent bank account into the Revolut account to be, to be able to pay somebody in another bank seamlessly and as quickly as possible because the infrastructure and how the banks exchange uh, value today in this market, particularly in Ireland, um, doesn't deliver that experience for them. So, you know, and without that, without that competition in the market, uh, and there is a real risk of, you know, with a very, in a very consolidated market, as we have seen with, say, the Cinch payments situation arise where banks are clubbing together to form their own instant payment network where there is an instant payment scheme across Europe, which has been adopted by, you know, thousands of other banks across Europe and they're not adopting it. And it's saying, well, we're kind of keeping this for ourselves and uh, you've got to come in and play by our rules. So I think having competition in the market is really important and having, you know, good banks in the market is really important. Established banks, I guess it's worth remembering, like presumably have some very important assets and advantages in in all of this in terms of, you know, particularly in a country like Ireland, in terms of customer access and data, market recognition, et cetera. I mean, which presumably makes banks a very attractive partner for fintechs. I mean, in practice is is that the case or are there at least as many challenges? Um, No, absolutely. And look, it's very attractive in terms of a distribution network. So, you know, fintechs can bring technology that um, incumbents or large organizations might never be able to move at the pace that a fintech can do. But the likes of AIB brings, a, you know, a fantastic opportunity from a distribution network and being able to contact and to reach out and to touch um, the volume of customers that we have. So it does make it very attractive. And, you know, it's one of the, the exciting things as, you know, as someone who works as part of AIB is to as to what the future holds there and the opportunities it will present both for staff and customers um, to work in some exciting new um, opportunities that we want to bring out there. So it, it certainly does make it attractive for a fintech because scale, again, in Ireland is, is a challenge, albeit that Revolut have, have shown us how they can do it, you know.
Elena, I mean, like clearly there are many benefits of of, of digital. Um, what about digital risks? You, you know, questions being asked about you know how vulnerable digital offerings might be to cybersecurity threats or, or other types of interruption. Or I guess the other thing is talking about the branch network is you know just the question of universal access. Is that a challenge? at all really in, in reality or or how do you see it? No, I don't see it as a challenge. I think because, you know, when you're when you're a digital first business, you you build your processes and your controls um and the governance around that for a digital only business. You leverage the, you know, the most secure technology and you implement that because ultimately you have a job to what what we don't have as a, as a digital first business is that um old trust we don't we haven't built up a reputation so our first footing into the market has to be um you know that we can be trusted so um everything that we do and all of the technology that we use we use you know best in class and our processes and our the controls that we have in place and all of our governance um is with that in mind so um, it hasn't precluded us from from growing. If you look at how Starling and even our accelerated growth throughout, um, you know, the the early stages of the lockdown last year, um, where one might think that you know customers wouldn't be in the in the business of opening bank accounts, they actually flocked to us in huge numbers because of the products and services that we were able to deliver to them during a, you know, during, during a, um, a period of, um, say of, of lockdown. So we were able to deliver services really, really quickly. And we were able to adapt and pivot our offerings to address huge pain points like, um, you know, self-isolating people. So we were able to develop a connected card that would give a limited, um, set of funds to available to a trusted friend, neighbor to do shopping for you, for example. So when we were, when we were just displaying that we could deliver products like that very quickly, um, uh, ready to be, to be used, that was a great enabler of trust from our perspective. Um, we also, you know, got involved in the business bounce back loan scheme and very, very quickly developed um, and delivered the loan application and were able to continue to open business bank accounts when a lot of the other banks in the UK were shutting down. We became very recognisable and very, very trusted in the market. I'd concur with that as well, with um, Connor, just on those points. I think, you know, the big issue in this area is more around um, dealing with the regulator and satisfying them that you've got your strategy your management team in place, your execution is flawless and that you've got the proper governance and risk management. And the AML piece is going to become much more to the fore going forward with all of these things. And you've seen the new regulator is going to be the EBA and it's going to be looking at this. So AML is going to be a big thing going forward for all banks, but also for uh, d- digital players. These are the things that regulators, I suppose, keep, keep awake at night when you know, they, they're, they're, they're thinking of these, uh, you know, what are the risks around digital cryptocurrencies, that those things. Yeah, like 100%. And I, you know, I, what I would say is if it's keeping the regulator up at night, it's also keeping, you know, our management team, because that's, you know, if it's, if it's something that the industry is very much, um, you know, focused or aware of, um, then, 
you can bet that we're working on technical solutions and we use our technology, our technical capability every day to improve our systems and, and to stay on top because very much the industry is always keeping up with fraudsters and criminals. Um, and I guess what our competitive advantage is that we can adapt our technology and um, implement rule checks and um, enhance our transaction monitoring systems very, very quickly and, and deploy um you know, d- deploy those risk and controls very quickly into our systems. Yeah, and I think that's a key focus, you know, for the likes of ourselves, even, you know, as one of the larger organizations is that it's about maintaining that trust. So it, it's hard to build up the trust if you alluded to there, Elaine, but um, the, the real important thing there is maintaining it as we go through it and as we become more digitally focused um, and, and people have shifted their behavior, um, it's never been more prevalent in terms of, managing that ensuring that we're we're able to react very quickly. Fergal, from a, a non-bank lender's perspective, similarly feels like there's massive opportunity regardless of how well banks adapt. I mean, is that your experience? Well, the let's say the, the KBC Ulster Bank announcement um I suppose was a was a uh, you know uh, an interesting development for us and we did see our business pretty much increase instantly and uh, we're now um, increasing our ambition in terms of uh, market share. But I suppose when we, when we set up eight years ago, um, you know, that, that wasn't part of the equation and it was just more analyzing the market and just understanding that, that in Ireland, the level of activity among non-banks was quite low compared to what started out my own career in the US and and the whole concept of, of mortgage finance companies were, were far greater than, uh, for example, in, in Ireland. And we saw the trends then developing in particular in the UK, the Netherlands, for example. So... Um, Really, what what we we uh, when we set up in in twenty thirteen, uh, we were uh, assisted by the competition authority, and you made the point there about just competition authority was just that where we bought a, a, a loan book, high quality loan book, assisted by the competition authority in trying to promote. Uh, new lenders entering in into the market, and really our whole philosophy was was more around the not trying to be all things to all people keep keep it simple, so just focused on the mortgage market you know mortgages are us we don't lend in the sme space we don't take in retail deposits we're we're funded uh, on the international markets wholesale funded. Um, and we don't have, you know, FX or other services. So we're very, very niche, monoline, just concentrating on the, the mortgage market and focusing on just the customer, customer-centric, you know, the price, which is the ultimate offering competitive rate, the level of service that can be improved by using technology as much as, as possible, and then innovation where uh, just different uh, products. And it's interesting now, just in the last couple of months, where uh, the introduction of, you know, 20-year, 25-year uh, fixed-rate mortgages, which actually 
evolve from non-banks such as Finance Ireland, Avant, whatever. So there's, you know, there's some change uh, taking place. And uh, with the, uh, let's say, the 25 to 30 percent market share disappearing um, and the concern around the time in Ireland about the lack of competition, I, I would uh, I would be confident that that shouldn't be an issue. And you will see, as I said, we're growing our ambition, but I've no doubt our non-bank uh, colleagues as well will also up their uh, ambition for, for market share. So I think what will happen is, you know, the incumbents will, will benefit, but I think the uh, you'll see probably a greater growth then in terms of the, uh, the, the, the non-bank. But it's also, even though we compete against the banks, it's also worth highlighting that we do have uh, relationships with certain banks, whether it's funding lines, wholesale, uh, warehouse funding lines, etc., cetera, uh, working together. But it's certainly a very interesting time in the marketplace right now. And uh, I mean, I, I see in, in, in my own practice as well, there, I mean, there does seem to be quite a significant amount of international capital that's interested in gaining exposure to this market. Um, but I guess you, you touched on there, you know, the being of the requisite size to attract that capital at the right cost, I suppose, is, um, is a, a big, big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think that um, we, we've done four securitizations now. And if I even compare our recent experience on the roadshow, which was, you know, in, in Q1 this year versus our very first deal, which we did in, uh, in 2014, uh, you know, back in 2014, there were still a lot of investors that were quite nervous about Ireland, you know, bear in mind the property market really only plateaued around 2013. So it took quite some time for, you know, the risk officers and credit to get just comfortable with the market here. And the investor base now is clearly uh, wider, more, more diverse. We're also now seeing you know, bank treasury desks, for example, that I suppose the challenge with, with uh, you know, negative rates, having to invest in uh, securitized products, whether they're backed by mortgages. So the, the number of investors are expanding and just getting a bit more comfortable and hence uh, and seeing maybe greater support with ECB, ECB support, ECB buying notes, ECB eligibility, and really trying to uh, help uh, inject kind of non-bank uh, sponsors uh, and the ultimate goal that that leads to lower cost of funding, which helps the consumer at the end of the day. So that that market is is developing. There's no doubt about that. Great. Just, just to finish, I might ask each of you, um, just for a sentence or two, to just summarize your, your thoughts on what does the future look like for banking in Ireland? Nadine, I don't know if you'd like to, to start. Yeah, look, I'm excited about, you know, what lies ahead. I've spent many years, um, longer than I 
fair to admit in this call in banking. Um, but I continue, you know, to want to get up every day um, and look forward to the the opportunities it presents. And I can speak for myself from experience. If you'd asked me five, ten years ago, would I be doing what I'm doing today, working in Payzone, which is a fintech company as their CEO? It wouldn't even have crossed my imagination. So I think there's a a, a really bright future for people, and um, both in terms of being part of financial services and and working with fintechs. But also, I think there's a a great opportunity there for us to bring some exciting new propositions to our customers. So um, I think I think it's bright, um, both at a customer level and economic level, but also for people who want to stay or get involved, come into financial services, I'd certainly be a, a huge advocate of it. I think we're going to see the incumbents now with these transactions from Ulster Bank and, and KBC are are, are, in a, are going to be in a pretty strong position. Um, there's going to be three main domestic players in the marketplace as kind of on, on the ground. Um, they will uh, hopefully be you know fit and nimble and able to serve the customer base um i do hope that the government ownership thing that at least they start weaning off the government ownership and bank of ireland and aib and and, and parent tsp will 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 have, will have you know i suppose minority government minority stakes and then reduce them over time that'll be important flag uh, milestone and then i think there is a very healthy uh, nbfi uh, uh, proposition out there across the sme as i said the property the mortgage and the uh, and and the and the traditional traditional side. I think you know the more of that the better. The, the uh, there will be winners and losers, but I think it's it's going to be a very interesting space both here in Ireland and and uh, and in the in the future. But we also need to remember this is a regulated business or sector, so we need to make sure that uh, we have a strong regulator, but uh, you know a regulator that makes uh, you know competition and uh, and 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 the customer at the forefront as well. I agree with both what uh, Nadine and Tom said. I would be I would be optimistic for for a bright future, but I would speak cautiously, I guess, optimistic because I do think that in order for for a really strong market um, and and for that kind of bright future, I I do think competition is absolutely key. Um, and I think that if without it, um, I think it'll be much of the same, and with with state ownership in the banks, with no ness, no real incentive to, uh, to 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 deliver return um, and to to become profitable. Um, without that competition in the market, I think we will just see a closed market delivering, you know, inferior experiences, and we'll be constantly looking out to the to the Nordics and and to the other European countries for inspiration, but yet we're not actually delivering it. So for me. Very bright future, but competition is key to that. So I, I think the banking landscape in Ireland will be quite different over the next five to 10 years. I think that it's becoming more customer centric. You know, the old model of trying to be all things to all people uh, do, doesn't doesn't work. You know, you have to find your niche, what, what are you good at to deliver the service there? I uh, predict that the uh, in, incumbents and the non-banks will grow market share on the back of the Ulster Bank KBC news and um, the whole business itself becomes less labour intensive 
and we'll see more fintech uh, partnerships uh, within that five to 10 uh, year horizon. But overall, it's an exciting time. The future is bright. What I've learned from today's discussion is that we can continue to expect significant change and opportunity. And in many ways, it seems that the picture is not as perhaps negative as some headlines would uh, suggest. And I think what we've heard from our guests today is that there's a real desire among both traditional banks, challenger banks and non-banks to make banking and financial services better. And in some ways, the pandemic has helped to accelerate that positive change. So I would like to thank all of our guests, Elaine Dehan, Country Manager for Ireland at Starling International, Tom McAleese, Managing Director at Alvarez and Marsal, Fergal McGrath, CEO of Dillusk, and Nadine McKeown, Chief Operating Officer at Payzone. I'm Connor Houlihan. Thank you for listening.